part of the purpose of this is your story works in everyone else's lives. And I've seen it. I've lived it. I've, I've seen how Darren and your life, too. Your life, has you've had struggles, and it's been tough. And, and I bet you there's a lot of testimonies like this and a lot of lives like this. But God has been there for you. The church has been there for you. It's just amazing how God communicates to us his love and his testimonies that my father has, that you have, that our family lived through are incredible. And I just wish more people understood. And I want to share our family story, I guess. It's not necessarily mine. I'm kind of living through the the legacy that you've created and that I guess Darren has created. But also before that, when you, you started outside of the church, really, you and dad, and left the rest of the world behind and latched on to the Church of Christ. And from that point on, God has been with you. The Church of Christ has been important to you. Families and friends, you have been important to them. And that's the message I guess I want to take and, and relay to people in the if we did a podcast, is that we love one another in the Church of Christ. And everybody's story is my story. Yeah, um, we may have a difference of opinion. We not may not agree on every little thing, but the things we do agree in are cement. You know, um, in the early days, um, we headed out, Bill and I headed out to um, Colorado in the summer to visit our families one time, and uh, I think we got just north of Bell Road, and um, it was a wheel bearing on our car went out. And, of course, we were young. We were broke. And who did we end up at? Hubert and Louise. Called Hubert. They came and, I don't know, what. we ended up back at their house or Bill and Hubert fixed. Somehow or other, it was fixed. And finally we got back on our, we were interdependent, I guess, is John and Verna Jones, my goodness, she she would she took to Dennis like and Dennis to her. That he was their little pet. He it was their family. There, you know, it's kind of interesting that I didn't know anybody at my wedding, but I got to know them in the years afterwards. We never missed a a Colorado reunion until Darren's accident. We would go on vacation while we would travel. It got to the point where we did travel some. And everywhere we go, we would go to, I met Gary and Jerry Adams in California. I did not know them from anybody. It's 10 o'clock at night. We're in the motorhome. Who in the world calls on anybody at 10 o'clock at night? And we hadn't eaten. Bill calls up Gary and said, hey, <laughs> That's that's the first time we met them was 10 o'clock at night on a, on a workday night, it seems like, and they ordered pizza, and uh, we stayed in the motorhome in the parking lot somewhere. I don't know, but who in the world does that? But we got to be friends with these people first, isolated members that we'd just go and visit up in Toppenish. I did not know. Ray and Laverne, and and lots of times 
uh, I remember uh, Green River, Wyoming, the members there, it was Maureen Karras' sister and mother. I knew Maureen. She was members in the Phoenix local, but Bill would just say, hey, just go. He would be the one that make the decision we're going to stop there, but then he'd throw me in to go get to know the mother or the woman or the whatever. Gramps used that motorhome, and you talked about it a little bit, but you went all over the United States visiting with people with Darren, running around with Darren, and, and as I see it, everybody got to see the, the, the boy that they were praying for all that time. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. We took the kids, the teenagers, up to Yellowstone one time saw a moose this who all was there there was uh, there's us in yeah, the motorhome i remember the elk on the side of the road yeah so, that ma- one. so majestic on the side of the road and it ran parallel to the rv and yeah. it was the biggest animal i've ever seen in my life it was huge that was a moose wasn't it it was an elk oh all right yeah it, but it was a big elk that's I, I understand why he would think it was a moose because it had a huge but there was just moments like that where just that uh, my father, he had a successful business, but I I think he put a lot of that success back into the church and he helped people in a lot of places. What happened, it's going to be hard to talk about, but uh, when he passed away, he passed away uh, the day of our anniversary, Kate and Mike's anniversary, the day after or the day before. The 5th. The 5th. Uh, yeah. So... On that is uh, that is my anniversary, and he wanted to go out with us, and I I told him no, it's going to be Kate and my day, and so my last memory was me telling him I didn't want to be spending time with him, which is which is odd, but I had a really good excuse. But I I remember I I wrote a book, and he was just the biggest supporter of my book, and he was he had not quite proofread the final version, and that's where I put my dedication on. And that was a a big part of my life was the support he had uh, backing my projects, I guess. But I know he backed a lot of projects in the church for people. And he was he had a, a an essence of being ashamed of being so successful sometimes to he people. He felt a responsibility. Yeah, that definitely. Definitely there was the responsibility there to pass it on. And there were any number of times, uh, I can tell you one time in, in Africa, in Kenya. Well, actually, it was we were with Moses and Michael, and we were in, Tan, they say, Tan, Tanzania. We were in Tanzania at a motel, and Bill went up to their room and knocked on the door and, and handed uh, Moses... I think he handed him $500. I don't know how much it was, but it was a chunk of change, and especially for those guys. And they burst into tears. Moses is just, he's just dumbstruck. And he says, wait a minute, wait a minute. You don't understand. Michael's wife just called. We're on on this missionary trip with you guys because you're here and it has to be done now but we aren't home working and earning money and our family 
we were just on our knees in prayer asking God, how in the world are we going to do this traveling with the missionaries while they're here and support our families? Our wife just, one of the girls called and said, hey, we're out of money. And you show up at the door with, it, it was not an accident. They were just in awe that they hear a knock on the door while they're praying for an answer, and the answer is standing there at the door. It, it, was, uh, it meant as much to us as it did to them, for sure. Um, the day he died, he collapsed from a massive heart attack nine o'clock Sunday morning. And looking back at, at that, uh, you know, uh, I can't, I know there were 13 or 14 incidences that um, I need to st sit down sometime with Jennifer Oldham and we need to rebuild this. But by 9.15, we would have been in the car and he would have been driving and we would have been on our way to church. So we avoided an accident. The day before, he was in the backyard working with Kenny Vic, Ken Vic. They had a great day. Just there were 13 or 14 little and big things big things that happened that just the hand of God was in there. The hand of God has been in my whole life. There hasn't been a day that, that I can say it wasn't there. One of the huge, major, major things that happened when Bill died. We were... Um, he felt this responsibility to help people whenever and wherever was asked or saw a need or whatever. And um, it looked like uh, we were pretty successful and stuff. But the truth of the matter was that uh, we had sold the business by then, but uh, things were tight. And uh, he was kind of working the credit cards, you know, everybody does that. Almost a year before, we had converted our life insurance because we, uh, we couldn't afford to pay the premiums anymore. And so we converted it to, I'm a genius with this kind of stuff, so the different kind of life insurance that's paid up. And then once you sign that contract, the next year it turns into this, new policy and it's paid up life insurance but it's substantially less he died 15 days before that went into effect that secured our financial security right there i mean i don't know i would have been a greeter at walmart had that not happened there there yeah the circumstances of that made us Okay, made Finish. it okay. Whereas if that hadn't happened, we it'd have been it'd have been a lot different. Yeah, yeah. It was fifteen days. That's cutting it pretty close. Fifteen days before that went into effect, he died, and I was able to 
pay off some, pay off the house, do do a lot of things, you know. Yeah, he was in the process of making decisions about the shop and the business, the land that he owned. That he had a mortgage on. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> exactly. But there, there were. I don't remember all that there were, but there were so, <clears throat> so, so many things. Fourteen, if I recall, I'll check with Jennifer. Fourteen big and little things that happened that just fell right. Um, I remember um, coming out of the church, the temple lot, and I met Irene Case, and she said something to me that had to do with how am I doing or, you know, after Bill died. And I said, I, my, my response to her was, I can't complain. I can't be upset. I can't. I am so incredibly blessed. It's the way it's supposed to be. I, I feel God's arms around me in all these different ways, and I'm not going to whine or cry because I know it's for the best. Things, things that <laughs> used to concern me, things like I never pumped my own gas. I knew nothing about a car except where the key went. Well, you've grown up a lot since then. Well, yeah, but that, that's one thing the boys, I think, worried about. Bill, uh, Dennis and Daniel and Kenny worried about, oh, yeah, she's going to run out of gas because she never looks at the gas gauge. <laughs> and I think it was, uh, it was at least two years that they would pump my gas for me, but I'm doing it now. And you're taking care of Darren. When he... When he was gone now, uh, you had to take care of Darren uh, by yourself. <laughs> yes. How has that gone? It's been a lot of fun. Dad yeah. was always the one that Dad, yeah. took care of Darren. And uh, I know I saw you uh, getting Darren cleaned up one time for church, and you had a needle nose pliers, <laughs> and you were yanking. You were pulling, shh, shh, shh. Don't you were tell pulling nose hairs out of his nose. That's yeah. one way to do it. Well, I was pretty inexperienced. I did. I have the little gizmo now, but yeah, he doesn't shave himself. He doesn't. You know, there there are things, but um, who has helped you the most with Darren? There isn't. There isn't just one. But who has who's who's Darren's right hand man? Girl Friday. That would be Patricia Ferrier. Of course, Patricia and Isaac, they're his other family. That's where he's going to go if something happens to me, and even before. I don't know where I'd be without Patricia. And, and of course, again, it, it's Patricia who's the mainstay, but it's Hubert and Louise. It's, it's, it's not, it's everybody, you know. It's, it's, we're still a family, even though I live in Missouri most of the time. We're still a family. One of the one of the tough things with Darren was when he broke his leg. That was a little heavy. Darren is kind of attached at the hip, okay. And I was, um, I had made arrangements with Neva Hausnick to to take him with her uh, for five or six hours every Thursday, just so he could get away from dealing with me. And he had some outside, you know, 
And so she would, the deal is she'd come and get him and she'd take care of his lunch and she'd take him wherever she was going that day, whether it would be over to Cena's or to her sister's or whatever. I didn't question it. She had him, goodbye, have a nice time. And this one particular day, she picked him up, Thursday. She picked him up and took him over to Cena's. And later, Cena says, you know, it was odd. He said, I need help getting into her house. And he'd never said that before. She said it was just so strange. So we helped him get into the house and... Uh, whether they played games or what they did that day, I don't know. But she said it was just so strange that he said he needed help. And then the day was over, and Neva brought him home. And about 8.30 at night, I told him, go take a shower, which he did. And he came back crawling from the bathroom to the kitchen by the refrigerator. And he says, Mom, look. And he couldn't get up. And I said, well... What's the matter? Did you, something wrong with your ankle? So I told him to crawl back to the bathroom, and I helped him get up on the toilet. And, oh, uh, yeah, there was something wrong with his ankle. Here I am alone with him, and the car is back there at the kitchen. You know, the garage is over on the kitchen end, and we're on the other end. So I thought, well, he was able to crawl, so... Okay, Darren, get down on your knees and crawl back to the kitchen. And I, John and Carrie Geyer lived next door to me. And I called John, and John and Curtis came over and helped me get him into the car. Got him to the emergency room, and he had a, a spiral fracture of, on his, his leg. And, of course, um, I didn't know how it happened. He couldn't tell me how it happened. He didn't remember. I think what happened was that he c tripped in the in the corner of the bedspread when he made his bed. He makes his bed every day. You don't have to tell him. And I think he twisted it and fell in the morning. It wasn't quite all the way broken. But after the shower that night, yeah, it was broken by then. And they told me, okay, uh, they put his leg back together, screwed it all back together, and they told me, okay, seven weeks non-weight bearing. I said, what? You don't understand. He, he doesn't have a memory. He can't be non-weight bearing. He doesn't have a memory. I was so happy that Elizabeth Gaynor was there at that hospital. Because she heard about it, and she, she works in a whole different department. But she called up to the head nurse on our floor, told her, hey, take good care of this, these people. And then I'm trying to explain to the nurse why, number, number one, we don't watch that channel on TV. There's only certain channels he can watch. And number two, you don't understand. He can't be left alone. He won't know what in the world is going on or where. Well, if you know him, you've heard him say, do you know where my mom is? I'm thinking, I got I to I gotta get home and set up for seven weeks non-weight bearing. <laughs> that it was, it was, it was rough. It was rough. But 
hey, even that, we got through through it. I might have been a little mad at Bill for not being here to help me with that. How do you transition now to Gran? You got to take care of Darren, but you also got to take care of Gran. <laughs> Patricia. Patricia took Darren, and I took Gran. And we decided you would stay in Phoenix. We were all set up here, but then... Um, I kind of figured it out that things weren't going so well for my mom in Phoenix that she's 96 or 5 or something, and and um, I needed to be in Phoenix. So uh, that's when you moved into the big house, and I bought a park model and two doors away, two doors away from my mom. I There again, you see, she lives lived in an RV park in North Phoenix, well, actually, close to Anthem, and I'm realizing that I need to be there, but you don't want to be right in the same house. the The park model, the unit two doors away from her, came up for sale, and I bought it, and moved right in, and I was there when she had her stroke. I was there to take her to, you know, the hospital and uh, the nursing home after, and um, I eventually brought her back here to Missouri because you and the kids were closer. You needed to take care of her. I, yeah. Full time. Well, yeah, there's nobody but me left. And now the house on the corner. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. See, I'm telling you, I have been blessed my whole life. I'm I'm a little stressed now, you know, okay. I I promised Daniel and Kate that I'd come back for uh when Rosie was born. And so I made arrangements for twenty four seven care for my mom. She'd already had a stroke, but okay. I got some nurses in there and I came back for a week. And I'm I'm feeling burdened. I, I have yeah, Patricia has Darren. Uh, Patricia and Isaac have Darren and the boys, Caleb and Gage, kudos to them. And I'm feeling overwhelmed. And I said, if the day before Rosie's born, what are we doing? We're taking the boys. We're taking the boys to feed the buffalo the day before she has a baby. There's a couple of stories in there about when Kate delivers her babies. One time Daniel was out buying tires for me. One time it was an oil change, so you could go to Colorado Reunion. Oh, yeah. After five, you know, four and five, I didn't really need to be there for all the He excitement. was there for one and two. But, yeah. But anyway, so Kate and I and the four boys were on our way to feed the buffalo. And I'm talking to her and thinking, we're pulling out. We're on a cul-de-sac. So we're just there uh, pulling out, just heading out, and I'm overwhelmed. And I said, it's just... Just if if some of these decisions were taken away, if they were just res- resolved, if I just, whoa, if I just had a little relief. It wasn't very long. doesn't take long to feed buffalo. A couple hours. We come back, and the house on the corner has a for sale sign on it. The house on the corner two doors from their house has a for sale sign in the yard which wasn't there when we left 
I called Greg Brickhouse, said, buy me that house. Get me that house. That's, that's the answer right there. Get me that house. You have to come over sometime and see how perfect this house was. I moved right in. I did not wipe out a cupboard. I did not clean a toilet. I did not paint. I did not, well, right now I'm tweaking a lot, but it was perfect. It was absolutely perfect. It took a little bit to get the house. Not really. How how many weeks? When was Rosie born? A month. It took a month. That's not a long time. Well, I was kind of broke afterwards. But, but, I I had the down payment there. I you know there again it it was the hand of God. It was an incredible blessing. I mean. And then all my lady friends, <laughs> they all had to support Greg. They all had to see the house before I could buy it, of course. So Betty Olson and Jerry Adams and Cheryl Taylor and I don't know, Rhea and I don't know who all else. Um, we all had to see the house before I could buy it. But yeah, I'm right on the corner two doors away from the boys, from Daniel's. I'll start including Rosie here in a year or so, but when the door opens and you hear, it's just this surge. First of all, the herd is coming, but you hear Calvin. Grandma, we're here. <laughs> it's pretty, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Okay, I want to stop and backtrack to when did you find out you had cancer? Uh, uh, we were in the motorhome. It was 1999. I think we had been to Toppenish. Bill called Eli and said, hey, we're in the neighborhood. Toppenish is in Washington and Eli is in New York. Washington State. Washington State, yes. We're in the neighborhood. So we head across the country and we're in Montana and I discovered I had a lump and I thought oh oh dear oh dear I I I can't tell Bill to turn south here he's he's made up his mind to go to New York and not only New York but Italy after New York so I'm laying in the motorhome we, t we took a little nap somewhere in Montana. I'm laying in the motorhome, and I'm saying, um, I'm not going to tell them, Lord, you, you just got to take care of me for this. <laughs> It'll just be a short while. I promise I'll get to the doctor as soon as we get back, but we got to go to Italy first. <laughs> and so we did. So we did. And December I had surgery. And that was 1999, and I'm still here. But, you know, during that time, yeah, Belinda. Others, too. Others, too. But lots of others, too. But um, somehow or other, the Belinda, more than once during that whole episode, would send me cards. Cards and cards and cards. 
and really um, we should revisit um, the Sunday of Darren's accident too because that's the whole reason I I absolutely it's the Lord's Day I, I just it was the biggest mistake of my life had we kept the the Lord's Day, who knows? Well, I know for sure we wouldn't have had a head injury. But um, so you won't make that mistake ever again. Well, in little bitty <clears throat> ways, I have. Like I tried to do some canning on a Sunday, and every one of them didn't seal. And you know. I do think God has a sense of humor because I think he's trying to tell me, you know better than this, you know, <laughs> and I have to laugh. And I, yeah, I know. I, I was, Even when I was making the decision to go ahead and do this on Sunday, I'm telling myself, no, you shouldn't be doing this. On, it's the Lord's Day and you just don't do that on Sunday. You don't. It applies to me. You all can do what you want, but I learned a real hard lesson about the Lord's Day, and it's been consistent ever since. If I try to do, it's just, now, I there is a limit in my mind. If I have made all my f commitments on Sunday, and, you know, I've gone to Sunday school, I've gone to church, uh, I went to Bible study, um, I went back to church, and now it's after church. I feel like, okay, it's it's cool to have somebody over for dinner after church, or it's cool to meet, to pick up some Kentucky Fried Chicken, or, you know, I feel like after church, when all my commitments are fulfilled, I feel um, okay in not going to the grocery store, but needful things you know if your cow's in a ditch you're going to pull it out but i'd leave it until after <laughs> i get it i get it okay but it, it's just kind of uh i don't want to say comical but it's interesting over the years nope it doesn't work out if i if i try to put something else in there we were busy and we chose Sunday afternoon after church, we skipped potluck and we headed out five miles to the, or less to the desert to ride ATVs. But that's that's me. That I I just I know there's the the thing about if your cow's in a ditch, but the cow's just gonna have to sit there. But but also, Darren was having these dreams. Yeah. I don't know. So what it was think? for, God knew it was going to happen anyways. God knew it was going to happen. He's trying to let you know it was going to happen. That's the way I look at this. And he was letting you know and gave you that testimony to help you through all of it. Yeah. Yeah. Did he help you through the cancer? My mom and Bill went with me to the, to, to the last doctor's appointment where they told me, um, well, they gave me this medical term, 
and okay, I'm going to the doctor, and I says, by the way, what does this mean? Oh, well, that means you're cancer-free. We got it. And so you're cancer-free. You're you're good. You're you know, it's it's not showing up anywhere else. So um, we took extreme measures and we arrested it. And so um, we're walking out to the elevator and Mom and Bill are there and they're asking, "Wow, well, what did she say? What did she say?" And I said, "I'm good. I'm I'm clean. I'm I'm fine." And they. Both of them, they, they, they start bawling. We're standing in the hall by the elevator, and they're hanging on to me. I'm holding them up, and they're just bawling and bawling and bawling. And I'm thinking to myself, hey, who's the one with the cancer here? You know, but it, it, was, it, was, it was not a lot of fun either. But, you know, you just... Um, it's okay if if this is your day. This is that's the way I felt anyway. I, if if God chose this time for you, then it's just perfectly fine with me. But here it is, twenty some years later, and they're both gone, and I'm still here, feeling incredibly blessed. I will say, incredibly every step of the way. I remember when Uncle Butch passed away. You and your mom, you were the only thing left she had. And it was hard on you, too. It was very hard. It was very hard. But, yeah, he he died in 2015. It was a... It was a time, I, I need to be a little careful about how I express this. Um, I came from Phoenix, okay? And uh, when we came here, all our friends were at the East Local. Bob and Jennifer, Buzz and Sue, Mike and Belinda, you know, they were at the East Local. You would think that we would go there, but Daniel and Kate were at the Temple Lot, so we started going to the Temple Lot. And in those early days, I think this might have been, it was after Dad died, that we, there was a, a season, let's say, incredible, incredible sermons. And we were doing the Sunday afternoon Bible study. Monday night, we had a thing going, and it seems like Thursday and Friday were the only nights of the week that we weren't doing something. Oh, Tuesday night was uh, Dennis Trujan's things, and Wednesday night was church. And it, it, we got into the habit on Monday morning, a couple of us little old ladies um, would meet at Starbucks and just, wow. What did you think of that sermon? Wasn't that sermon just, wow, wasn't that, didn't that just speak right to you? And didn't it just, we were just flying high for quite a while. I, I want to say a couple of years. And we'd meet and, and just, you know, it, it wasn't the preacher it was God speaking through the preacher, and we were just thrilled. 
just thrilled that, you know, these things were happening. And our, our, um, we went through the Book of Mormon a couple of times in the Sunday afternoon study. And the Bible, we were on the Bible. And it was, uh, I got called to Colorado because my brother had cancer. I felt like we had just started, studied Joseph being shipped off to Egypt. And we were kind of right in the middle of that. And um, that's how I felt. I felt, oh, man, they did not say enough about that experience. 17 years. Your brother's throwing you in a pit. Your brother's selling you off to... You know, never seeing your dad again, and they just did not write, they did not do that story justice at all, because here I am in Colorado Springs, and I thought I was in Egypt with a bunch of foreigners. It was just so, I was just cut off from my family, from my church. I Anyway, um... My friends were calling and checking on me and saying, how are you doing and stuff like that. And I'd say, pray, pray. You got to pray for me. And one or the other, it was Betty Olson that finally gave it up. She's, they, I was there six weeks and they would call every day. How are you doing? How are you doing? How are you doing? I said, keep praying, keep praying because I'm not doing well. I'm not these are not my people. Uh, it's just awful here. And some of the things I was dealing with, um, family issues and stuff, were were just awful. Anyway, um, they'd call every day. And Betty Olson says, well, okay, we're praying. We're praying. And I got to go now because Jerry's waiting. Jerry's waiting for me to call and tell her, give her the update. Well, then I figured it out, you know. One would call and tell the rest, and then the other one would call the next day and tell the rest. <laughs> Even Darren Kroll called one day, <laughs> and I said, oh, you guys, I depend on it. I depend on your prayer to get me from one day to the next. That's how bad it is. You gotta call. You gotta every day, every day. I depend on it from day to day. You you just don't understand. It's I'm Joseph in Egypt, and I'm not happy. And it's just, it's just. Uh, I was feeling like, uh, how could a Christian lady have? feelings like I'm having, you know, <laughs> I just, uh, well, can I, can I interject that the family you were in was not church of Christ. They were, uh, one was Baptist, one was Catholic and Catholic is where church of Christ is pretty outspoken against that religion. Uh, you know, you're, you're in the metaphorically of, of the, the land of false gods and idols and pharaohs well, who call themselves gods but you're in a land and an association of people who are the opposite of the church of christ yeah i i loved my brother i love my brother um but um 
he had been a Baptist and uh, had a confidence not kept uh, by, by one of the Baptist ministers. His son told me this. That just did it for him. You, you betrayed me, and so that was the end of his church history. There were other issues um, that made me feel like family issues, and my, my mother was a, a burden, and I was not having warm, fuzzy feelings. And I kept thinking, what kind of Christian are you? You know, that you, uh, I wasn't dealing with it very well. But my friends, my sisters in the gospel sustained me minute to minute for six weeks. Oh, and that happened twice. Yeah, I had to go back later when he finally... When he did pass away, I remember we were coming back from a camp in Arizona, and we were going to drive right by Colorado on the way to Missouri. And you said, "Come," and I said, "Well, we don't. I don't have time. I can't do that. That's not in the plan." And I could hear it in your voice that you were shaken up, and and we needed to be there for you, and to be with you for a while, and for you to. Uh, take your grandkids to the holiday and pool. And that was necessary. It was needed. And I know it because I saw how you were affected and you couldn't, you couldn't order a burrito correctly. <laughs> My mom could not comprehend ordering a Chipotle burrito. She just, I had to do it for her so she could just not think for a while, not make decisions. And it was, it was, uh, I know you were affected by that time uh, in Egypt, if you will. Well, I had Darren with me, and he got loose in the motel that night. <laughs> we don't need to share that story. Okay. But, yeah, it was very, very stressful time for me. And losing my brother and having the situation just, and having Darren, too, you know, it was, it was, you're going to have to edit a whole bunch of this. But. My sisters sustained me, and they know to the, they know the details. The, those prayers, I could I could feel them every day, every day. Every day as I'm driving to the hospital, to the hospice place. Yeah. Well, Patricia and Isaac were instrumental in that too. They brought my mom up from from Arizona, and dropped her. We met on the road. In Colorado Springs, she's she's my daughter. You have to know too that Trish and Darren grew up together. They're only a couple months apart. I don't know. There there's so many who are close to us in the church. More than more than close, you know. Meeting Eli and Gretchen at Warrensburg, Missouri reunion. Going to Africa with Buzz and Sue. Oh, that, that trip. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm thinking, well, Bill's in the ministry. Buzz, Buzz is, you know, he's in the ministry. And, you know, they, Buzz and Sue have been there before. I didn't really feel like I had um, 
what business do I have going to Africa? And so I concocted this idea that, okay, I'm going to make puppets for, for Sunday school classes. I think I made 200, well, with help. I had a lot of help. Michelle Yates helped me, kept me on, kept pushing me. We were on schedule. We made these puppets, and I think there were 268 of them. And as I'm boarding the plane, I'm, I, uh, we put this package together, a set of puppets and some lessons and all this kind of stuff. Mentally, not physically, I'm holding those puppets in front of me saying, okay, this is my shield. Nobody's going to shoot me. Nobody's going to, you know, I'm okay. I'm bringing puppets. I have a purpose. <laughs> but what an experience that was. I had this all laid out. You know, you have the puppet, you have the book, you have this, the teacher should read it, the, the story. It gives you the reference. Uh, this story of Moses is taken from this scripture in the Bible. This, the story is here in the Bible. And here's the story you read to the kids in a little book. And a little question, uh, a little um, activity page and all this stuff. I had it all in a kit in a lot of kits. And the first time I get there and start to give the Sunday school lesson, the lady says, says, but I don't have a Bible. And I'm just undone. And uh, we don't have pencils. They would write in the dirt with a stick if, if they wanted you know, if it's a Christmas story and you wanted to draw a picture of the star, you drew it in the dirt with a stick. And uh, I, I was just blown away. I, how do you, how do you function? You just take for granted a pencil. The ministry, the ministry had little tablets like those. Those the kind of fiberish paper that you get when you're in preschool or kindergarten. That's what they had. And if they had a pencil, they cherished it. And I remember I made a couple of cop a bunch of copies of a picture that I had in my house, a picture of Christ. And I would tell them, you know, I want you to have this picture in your house. I have this picture in my house and we're sisters in the gospel, and I, I, I want to share this. I want you to have in your house what I have in my house because we are sisters in the gospel. Of course, their house was a mud hut and uh, no way to hang it, no way to, you know, it, it was just so, so foreign to me. It was sure different. But those teachers saying, but I don't have a Bible. I don't have this. I don't have Oh, do you remember sitting in the service when the little kid touches Kate to see if the white would come off? <laughs> it was the cutest, cutest little thing. It was, they were just, yeah, he ran his finger on her foot or her leg and looked at it and, yep, that white didn't come off. Daniel called me one day and said, Mom, Dad got permission for from Buzz for me and Kate. They had just been married. 
for me and Kate to go to Kenya with you when you go back. And I'm going to my, I'm thinking to myself, oh my goodness, Daniel, how are you going to survive the, what they eat, how they eat it? Uh, you know, it's not exactly the most sanitary. It's doesn't smell the best. <laughs> and A lady cleaned a spoon by putting it in her mouth and sucking off the dirt and handing it back to me. Yeah, it, it, it was different. Yeah, I, I just, I, I, when I got that phone call from Daniel, we had been once, and I'm going, oh no, oh no, how? And, and I remember one time we're sitting under a thatched shade screen type apparatus, and Daniel leans over, and his lips aren't moving. But he's saying, I can't eat this. It smells. <laughs> I said, Daniel, they cooked it on an open fire. You're smelling the wood and the other, you know, it, you can eat it. You can eat it. But that's exactly what I expected. What? You're going to Kenya? You're never going to make it. <laughs> hey, this isn't about me. All right. All right. But anyway, we had a great time. Just <clears throat> a great time. When you were learning in those early stages, you, you've, uh, you went to Mexico and, and things became clear. You believed, but when you saw this overwhelming evidence, how did that change? Well, for me, I kind of like history. The whole Book of Mormon story uh, made sense to me when uh, Zedekiah, when he's hauled off to Babylon and his sons are killed, and, and you think, well, you learn about the structure of how the lives were that in that day, and that the queen had Phoenician guards and those that took care of her, and they, perhaps all his sons weren't uh, adults. Maybe there were some young ones, kindergartens, that were still there and did manage to get away and and it, it just all made sense to me that yeah it's it's real uh, a papyrus ship in our travels that's one of the things we did we saw a museum in oslo and there it is the Ra to the contiki and other viking ships and it just it's it's real it's true it's there's a a documentary out about well there's the Contiki movie yeah but anyway Thor hired all and how he built the papyrus ship and sailed on it it's true and it can be done and then Don McIndoo taught you kids the vacation church school lesson about the currents and where they would just drifting on the currents where you would end up and the different uh, migrations from the promise from Jerusalem, Jerusalem. and uh, what's the th what's the thing about um, the Chinese? The word for boat for the word for boat is eight men in a no a the vessel with eight people. Yeah, a vessel with eight people. Um, Story of Noah. Click 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 click. It just adds up. It just adds up, and then you see the ruins there and. Um, Ushmal, thrice built, one on top of the other on top of the other. It just made sense. And then you see the the carvings and things, and you see the 
Jewish resemblance. And I was just sitting there at, I think it was Chichen Roshma, I don't remember which one. And it, I was just overwhelmed. Bill and Don had gone off to look for the horse, I think. And I was sitting there in the shade and just flooded with an assurance that it's the truth. It's the other sheep have I? Yep, yep, yep. It just, it was, it was remarkable. The whole experience was meeting the people. That's how it was. To have met those people, to have met Placido, what a sweet-hearted man he was. The other guys there that are still there, they're part of our family. Placido and Matilde's family are just just outstanding they're just they they have trials just like everybody else Evelyn was able to come up for a visit up here to the states uh, a couple years ago that was that was very special but as we get to know them Matilda is absolutely dear to my heart there's just no nobody like her and uh, Goomer Cinda and those from Motul. There's others. They're part of the family. That's not just church members. They are part of the family, for sure. I remember uh, Esmeralda was like two years old, and we all went, Placido's family, his mom, we went to Ushbal. And Matilde let me take that little girl up on the, on the pyramid. That's trust. We went up that pyramid together. Cutest little thing. And oh, when, when some of the young boys uh, met Bill, he's kind of tall. They had not seen anybody tall like that before. They, and this one little group of five boys, I think it was, they were just amazed. And of course, typically, just like our kids would do, they sent the youngest one to him to shake his hand <laughs> and that kid shook his hand took off running and went back to the other kids but the other kids made the youngest one go do it <laughs> it, it was it's just very special memories that I have and to have gone to um, Africa they're part of our family I, I don't know how do we get the sweetest people in the world because that's, that's what they are Moses and Michael are just like sons to me. They're just, they're that dear. And I've, what have I seen them three times in my life? Two visits to Kenya and one visit to Canada. You have a couple uh, that are missionaries to Mexico who you're always keeping tabs on them. <laughs> Nathan and Anna. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, of course. Nathan and Anna have a special mission to Mexico. And I tell, you know, when they come up here on their in-between times, number one, I want to give them a good meal. So we, we've we been to Ophelia's. Just recently, it was the COVID thing, and we didn't get to go anywhere. Cause, uh, we went to um, take out Jack in the Box. Big whoop. <laughs> But, you know, some of the stories he's told me about his experiences and how he just gets this feeling 
and he'll tell on us, start praying. And they'll be hauled over to the side of the road. And, you know, we know from experience, just ask John Gill, what happens when they haul you off to the side of the road? You, um, they shoot you. And uh, I will tell Nathan, we're, we're pretty good buddies. I will tell him, Nathan, that's just fine if they shoot you. It's what they're going to do to Anna that I just, I, she's just too cute. Don't, don't let them hurt her. <laughs> and, uh, oh, uh, yeah, we share testimonies. We share testimonies a lot when they come. I mean, I tell them mine and they tell me theirs. It's just, it's remarkable what they're able to do. And in their health, the, Nathan is not healthy, but God sustains him. It's amazing. It's, it, no, it's not amazing. It's the holy of holies, and you're on his team. So through, from the beginning of the podcast to the end, of the end of the podcast, from the beginning of our storytelling, of all the, everything I could get out of you, I, the theme, I see God's fingerprints in everywhere. Everywhere, but everywhere. I also see the love of, from one another in the church. Tell me you see the help and the love of the church members, the Church of Christ. I see it from from beginning to end, and I see it going both ways. Uh, definitely have felt it and seen the results of it from the Church of Christ to our family. But I've seen you and Dad do the same thing for others. Well, um, I don't know how you can walk into a church, one of our churches, and I've been in a lot of them. We've been in Mexico. We've been in Kenya. We've been in Alaska. We've we've been in, we've been everywhere. Just that bond, that bond that's there. You you don't have to. I don't have to see eye to eye. But I guess it's that being able to see Christ in each other, being able to see uh, the sacrifices that you make, recognizing. Uh, that you love the Lord and are dedicated to the Lord. It could be as simple as just your language. We talk different than other people. Um, I don't know. I it's it's that family bond, and I and I use that term a lot. That that we're family, and that's the most important thing. Just growing in the spirit together. I maybe that's it learning together, our failures and our successes together. We support each other. We, I don't have to um, see exactly the way you do. My interpretation doesn't have to be the same. It's, it's what you give that I, I remember the day that Cynthia Lawrence sang, What Do I Know of Holy? think about it 
I don't care how you do it. I don't care what your stand is, what your opinion is. I know that to the best of your ability, you are serving the Holy of Holies. And that's, since Cynthia has sung that song, that's how I think of God, the Holy of Holies. And when I'm in a service, that's what I'm thinking, the Holy of Holies. I'm not on a cruise ship. I'm not at a birthday party. I'm not flipping burgers or going out to Chick-fil-A with the ladies or I am in the sanctuary with the Holy of Holies and his people. And that is not a small thing. I think that we should reflect that thought when we are there in church together. We are here not to draw attention to ourselves or meet our friends or or anything like that. We are here because we feel the need to commune with the Holy of Holies. Not to joke around. I mean, uh, with this pandemic, it's difficult. It's difficult not not being able to see each other. It's like your family has just been split. And I don't feel comfortable my, myself. I don't feel comfortable because of Darren. I can't be sick because who will take, well, Patricia will take care of him. But, um, and he can't be sick because he'll be in the hospital saying, do you know where my mom is? You know, he, he can't, Okay, he can't be sick. So this has been very difficult. I've been able to manage because Daniel and Kate and the boys are right up the street and we are a unit, pretty much, until they get a sore throat and then I don't see them for a week. But um, we serve the Holy of Holies and we are together because of him. And we are a family because of God. And not just God, the Holy of Holies, doesn't that put a whole different... Reverence. Yeah, it just means something else. It, the, the, the term God these days is just not sufficient. So, yeah, I think when we are together, enjoy each other's company like... I enjoy potlucks. I enjoy that. I so, so miss the afternoon Bible study. But when we are in the chapel, drawing together and the service is commencing, I just think it's huge that our attitude is toward the Holy of Holies. You know, even God had a hard time explaining you know, to to us, what he is. I think he says, I am that I am. Yeah. There's not words to explain God. Yeah. And that's who we serve. Yeah. And there's weight to it that it seems we dismiss it sometimes. Yeah. A couple of years ago, I asked Aubrey Vogel, 
have you read any good books lately? And she told me about a book called um, The Epic of Eden. And in this book, this has been years ago, and I've, I've bought at least five copies now. It comes, there's this, it talks about Abraham, and he's getting to be an old geezer, and he's thinking, God, you, you said I'd have a family, and I'm, you know, I'm getting up there. I don't see this family. And God tells him to get those five animals. What are they? A bullock, a calf, a dove, a pigeon, and a goat, I think. He cuts them open and their blood is flowing. And God tells Abraham, I've made a covenant with you. And Abraham is just realizing, whoa, he keeps his promises. How am I ever, ever going to be able to measure up to that? God keeps his promises. And I'm just Abraham complaining about, hey, I haven't got my son yet. But he's, to me, to me, how I interpreted that is, whoa. How am I ever, ever, ever going to measure up? How am I ever going to keep a promise to God? I felt so sorry for the guy when I was reading that, and I can't get past that chapter. I haven't been that past that chapter since I asked Aubrey about the book, as I am so stuck on, wow, God keeps his promises. If I could just keep a few, you know, that's... That's pretty big. What's bigger than that? Okay. Blow your nose. Okay. So let me editorialize a little bit. What the purpose of this podcast is, a journey. It's inspirational to think of what someone's path looks like and a spiritual growth and the community that it took and the strength of the people around you Throughout this path you've been on, what would it have been like? Could you have done it without the Church of Christ? I, I would not want to think about it without the Church. Because, like I said, well, you know, years later, Bill and I um, uh, worked with Eli and Gretchen at the camp, at the teen camp. We did that for about 10 years, 9 years maybe. And um, when we started out, at the teen camp, I would ask the kids when they came through, okay, who's your mom? Who's your dad? Because we knew a lot of people, you know, in the church. We would travel in the summertime and go from California, well, coast to coast. But anyway, who's your mom? Who's your dad? And I, I just have to say here at this moment, you uh, may think you don't know me, you may think that, um, you know, I'm such, such some just church lady. But if I know your mom, you are, a, you're not just some kid. And, and, it, and it ended up being, I'd have to tell him, who's your grandma? <laughs> <laughs> who's your grandma? As you know, after a couple, yeah, it got to be that. And, um, 
partly that's why some of the kids call me Grandma Karen, I guess. But uh, I would hate for, I would want you all to know that in the Church of Christ, you're not just so-and-so and your mom's so-and-so and your dad's so-and-so and your grandpa's. We're a family. You're not just nobody to us. If I know your mom, you are somebody to me. Your kids are somebody to me. You're not just nobody. And I hear about kids that have gone through tough times and made some wrong decisions and maybe they've come out on the other side okay. Maybe they haven't come exactly okay. But even today, I want you to know that you are not just anybody to us. The events that happen in the church, well, it's the body of Christ. It's us. We are a family, and, and we are linked. We have, how do you say with the, com- with the computer nowadays, uh, what's the little, oh, it's called a link, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, we there's a link. We are not um, disjointed or dysfunctional. There's a link. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. For my yoke is easy.